All right, yeah, Fanny, I, yeah. I want to take you back to a world. <laughs> listen, listen to me, Zach, Fanny. I want to take you back to a world. Oh, our chat's over? Okay. Yeah, our chat's over. <laughs> I want to take you back to Gotta a do world. some work now, boy. Shut your... Zach, I want to take you back to a world. <laughs> it's in the mid-2000s. Donald oh. Trump was just your favorite evening television host that you'd love to see. Home Alone and, Extra? Home Alone Extra. And Bioware didn't even know what a transgender person was. They didn't even know. They didn't learn yet? <laughs> they didn't learn yet. None of us did. We we all learned in 2011. And no, they were still aware. Let's not even try it. Let's pretend. We didn't learn until Andromeda had eight <laughs> seconds yeah. of that that's character. The, that's the first time characters even knew. People knew that there were others yeah, yeah. beyond themselves. But no, Bio, it's kind of the heyday, the mid to early 2000s of Bioware's development. It's when they went from like the Boulder's Gates, Neverwinter Nights, even Knights of the Old Republic, and really pushed into the current gen AAA titles. They had that EA money slowly becoming behind them. They created two games, Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect, uh, the very first one, the the series that pushed it. And if you'll indulge me, I remember there's an anecdote because, you know, if you've been following us at VGS for a while, uh, we've been pretty fortunate. We got to speak with a lot of the people that have worked on at Bioware over the years. And I think it was Drew Carpitian who recently just left Bioware for like the second time. Yeah, I thought that already happened. <laughs> no, I, he came back and then I think he started working on, on Anthem and he's like, no, I don't know. This is not for me. <laughs> yeah, it didn't change enough. Yeah, it didn't change enough, apparently. But he told me this story and I'm going to butcher all the names, but basically the uh, directors there and it wasn't the the two guys, the uh, the Bioware co-founders, but uh, development directors went to him and David Gator, the very famous two writers, and basically said like, okay guys, we want to make two different sorts of games. We want to make a fantasy game that is kind of Tolkien-esque, but we want to put our own <laughs> like stank on it, and we want to make like a Star Wars sort of game. We've already done Those that. Turbo nerds. <laughs> what yeah. two genres? <laughs> yeah. So they, they do pick, we love? <laughs> they picked the the pillars of basically all uh, non uh, fiction storytelling and said, "Okay, go make something." And Drew Carpitian, with the help of many other people, developed Mass Effect as one of the lead writers behind that, and David Gator developed Dragon Age and I don't know it's kind of cool to look back at that and realize that it was like I remember one. yeah uh speaking of things gone by um <laughs> when you're in your first year of college and oh, you're yeah. living alone oh yeah it's not good yeah no it's not a good story uh, Andy's in school is not a good story no, not a good story <laughs> And you're like, oh, I'm this really, you know, Bioware's making this RP sci-fi RPG. And, you know, mm. at that moment when we were, how old were we? We were just out of high school. Yeah, so, like, man. 1920. It's 11 years really ago. The, 11 years yeah, ago. Oh, gosh. Why do you do that? I'm just, it's a date. It's a date. <laughs> we could eat what we want, and the world was our oyster. <laughs> That's it. And, and you're like, okay, listen, this game's going to be amazing. I don't think I'm going to go to school for a month. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, he, that guy's that's a funny guy. And then... A month later, you're like, Zach, I got kicked out of college because <laughs> I didn't go to school for a month. <laughs> All right. So I am an accomplished radio personality, I swear. It were, but, it did work out. But, but that did happen. Yeah. That did happen. That Bioware cost me my year. And I shouldn't say that. It was my terrible tendencies that did. But I, there was something about Mass Effect <laughs> that really kind of hooked me in. You know, it was something yeah. I hadn't seen before. It, it made Star Wars feel my own. And then. That's what it was. So yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. Because both these games, I think, like if you played Baldur's Gate, like you were a capital G gamer, you know, uh, back in the day, I think. Um, and Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect are kind of when these kind of nerd genres moved into the mainstream, and we got RPGs in these genres that we couldn't get before, just technologically speaking. And so we got like fully realized worlds that we hadn't encountered before, and it was incredible to the point that yeah, we're that's like all we're doing. And it was finally like, you know, there's a industry that is really kind of what what I belong to. It's back before Gamergate and all the awfulness. And it's like at the the moment of like budding possibility here that was so positive. It's the eclipse is the sun is just coming over the ridge 
And yeah. now we look at games and every like every Madden title has the RPG mechanics that Dragon Age yeah, Origin exactly. did. It yeah, became yeah. Uh, commodified almost. <laughs> do you want to play football as a dwarf? An elf? <laughs> a human? No, do you want to play football? <laughs> okay, you have to watch this eight-hour video and try and decide these emotional choices between your impoverished background. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> like, it's actually fun. Like, I watched uh, yeah. I watched them all. I don't want to play football games, but, like, it's a good story. Um, but that's, well, that's the, why this show's called Dialogue Wheel, right? Because, yeah. like, that's the games that we grew up with and love. Exactly. And it was the choices that you had on that little dialogue wheel and how it, amazing it felt, the idea that you could make this story uh, your own. And today, we both love these game franchises so much, but we are going to try to figure out Mass Effect versus Dragon Age, which franchise is really the perfect embodiment of Bioware's design strategy. We're not going to use words like better or best because these are already superlative. They, they basically are the best already. I just thought it was interesting to look at what people at Bioware have said previously about their design strategies and the clear patterns that go into their design methods and which franchise and series kind of stuck to that better and realized that dream that will lead to the perfect archetype, the Ubermensch for, uh, probably shouldn't say that, for the <laughs> <laughs> a next great, great game. So the first thing that I want to do before we, we dive in, I, it was basically a coin toss. I got very lucky. I landed with Dragon Age Origins. Fanny is doing Mass Effect. So I will be the chief advocate for Dragon Age Origins. Fanny uh, this week is going for Mass Effect. And we'll see how this goes. And if we're... If I know, have to. If you have to. Uh, if we're lucky, we'll uh, continue with this uh, next week and maybe even the week after that, go through the whole franchise. But the important question, before we say any more words, what was BioWare's design principles? Because looking back, it's it's kind of easy to pick and choose things that you think work the best. But there was a quote here from BioWare co-founder Ray Mizuka. I always say his name wrong about their strategy. And he said, pretty simply, looking at a game and thinking about how does it make you feel is our thoughtful way of approaching game design. Considering what you're building in terms of the impact on player emotion, we're all humans and we're all driven by emotion. That's what entertainment is for. It allows us to pursue aspiration, dreams, and to experience the thrill of combat, victory, hate, love, every combination. That's what we try to put in our games, genuine emotion. So the Bioware design principles we've kind of decided based on the source material is the idea of impact on player emotion, how the progression of the story and the development of the story affected you as a player in your feels, uh, the idea of player choice, that interactivity that a player had, because it's a video game. That's the very key thing. It's not only how this movie affects you, it's how you were able to interact and change it. And I think this is one of the most interesting ones, the world building consistency. These are vast, deep, like impenetrable worlds that stand alone in the world of video games, in the setting, these are some of the best worlds that I think any minds have ever came together to create, but they have a need for consistency that I think kind of builds it all together. So if you're playing at home, those are the categories that you should consider when measuring uh, these sort of games up. Player choice, world building, and impact on player emotion. Man. How, let, mm -hmm. let's, how many hours do you think we played on both these sort of games? Oh, man. It's a little embarrassing, but go ahead. Yeah, the first half of my 20s. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's, I wasn't having relationships with people yet. It was just uh, relationships with Bioware characters. That's how, how much I played How them. fulfilling was that in comparison to the people ones now? I, I wish I could go back. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, uh, oh, yeah, if we're, life is just more complex and like inevitably painful now. And I can't just synthesize everything and solve the world's problems. So, you know, I'm sadder, but <laughs> which means I, I like enjoy going back and having this retrospective. It yeah. was, it was kind of a special time, at least in our development. I think there's a lot of people that are in their late twenties that feel the yeah. same way that these are when we like could buy our own consoles, really. Like the first time we did really. And you think, well, oh my God, I actually am making money with these crappy jobs kind of buy all of these video games when they're 59 dollars was that yeah yeah something it was about 59 dollars and they're about 60 bucks canadian 
And I really think that point in time, about 10 years ago for gaming, was kind of like what you said. It, it was the eclipse when there were obviously games beforehand that had something to say, but there were certain barriers that made it harder for general people to appreciate the, the deeper themes and uh, narratives that were being built. These sort of games, Dragon Age and Mass Effect, went over that gap that made people who were even layman's really understand that this is an uh, an expression that should be coveted. I think maybe that's why these... It's when you get, uh, other than Grand Theft Auto, this is mm-hmm. when you really start seeing games pop up on the news. Like, remember Mass Effect 1 and CNN kept yes, playing like, the side boob clip of like, Ooh, you, oh, you can have Yara. sex. Yeah. In mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in the, some space opera. And, and you know, it's going to cause all these terrible things. Embrace eternity, Zach Fanny. Embrace eternity. Embrace eternity. <laughs> Her eyes go black. It's She's satanic. She's making you have sex. Yeah. What is this game even doing? What is this game even doing? But the, they were both very important to us and I think very important to the medium. Uh, Mr. Fanny, if you will allow me, may I start with my tasty, tasty origins? If you have to. If I it have. is really good. I really love this it was, game. We both love these. Again, it was a coin toss. Yeah. I chose this one. I was able to get this. So let's begin. Of course, Dragon Age Origins, everyone knows, came out in 2009 in November. It had the lead writer of David Gator, designers Mike Laidlaw, James Olin. And it was that meshing of heroic fantasy, high and low, a spiritual successor to the games we talked about before, Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Night. It had still connections to those previous games while still trying to do something new. It introduced the third-person perspective, the top-down, or rather that was the traditional perspective of the top-down strategic look, but there also was the option to go more third-person and be more involved with the action. So it was trying to make it a little more modern while still not losing some of the strategic elements. Uh, And admittedly, for me, that was the biggest drawback to what this game offered was the fact that, yeah, the strategic elements to gameplay kind of almost took me out of the narrative experience in a lot of different ways, because unless you're playing on the, the simplest difficulty, it was something you had to actually consider and uh, it could also it, it took you out of the very cinematic view that you had sometimes when you were just like over top and you clearly yeah. saw that this was, you know, a little pixel character. <laughs> you, you can see like the PC influence there, right? Yeah, like very, very much. Yeah, yeah. And it was still on PC, but it was welcomed on the new consoles. Um, the big thing about this, of course, was the introduction of the story. The, these beautiful, beautiful stories, the Grey Wardens, the Darkspawn, the idea of uh, magic being enslaved. Do you remember that, Fanny? The first time you went to that the tower? That might be my favorite th- thing about uh, Dragon Age as a franchise is how it conceives, a, uh, conceives of magic and the fate and everything around that is not just something that you materialize with words, but it's it's kind of like a realm that like houses our ids and our, you know, our super egos and like like the truths about us are hidden within there and they can like the, you know our, our kind of subconscious can come back and you know attack us and it's something that is dangerous in like yeah. in demons yeah. that represent pride and and yeah. uh, desire and things like that so it's a little on the nose and the looking- danger of like like giving your your deepest desires power and like that's it, that, yeah i think i thought that was the most brilliant and original aspect to this otherwise pretty token-esque world you know like elves and the orcs darkspawn yeah yeah it's it's kind of it's not as original i think as mass effect but we'll talk about that yeah no we'll get into that to begin with so i agree magic is one of the big highlights of it the introduction of characters that would continue on with you in the story those real companions the npc characters that bioware became famous for really evolved in this sort of game where you have characters like Alistair and uh, Alistar and Liliana and just uh, Morgan, of course, and Sten. That's the first time we were introduced to the character of Sten, Fanny. Sten. Yeah, it was great. Giving him his, what did he like? His paintings as the gift? No, no, he was big on the cookies. He had the whole very special thing if he got cookies. Oh, was it? Yeah, uh, I thought he, he might was like the art guy. Too. He might like paintings yeah. who, who doesn't, right? Who do, yeah, yeah, I love that. The little gifts. Like, oh, I found this little ring. Would you like it? <laughs> hey, All right. so we look at that and the whole influence system that that was interesting uh, that provided a level of player activity. So we, t- we talked before about player choice and how it affects the game. I think the Dragon Age Origins of all of the games that Bioware has created, these six that we're looking at. Oh, by the way, I should say we're not talking about Andromeda that's removed from this equation. 
Uh, I think, God. yeah, because then it would just be unfair. Um, the player choice and interactivity that you get with Dragon Age Origins is unparalleled in the series. The origin concept of where the, the game gets its namesake, that you were able to play, in many cases, for several hours in a standalone story that would form around your character. You weren't playing as Commander Shepard, you were playing as a noble dwarf, you are playing as an elf commoner, and that motivation for even why you're a Grey Warden and why you're in this story became very special to you. And for someone that's that's getting involved with these games, it made them really connect in ways that seemed more natural. Like a lot of games will, will force an objective in front of you that may be a little derivative and just be like, okay, you have to kill these bad guys because these are the good guys. Well, the origin, that origin dynamic, yeah, that is... Yeah, maybe that's the most brilliant part mechanically of this game. And that's why I spent so many hours playing it and going through the different um, origins because it situates you and your character in, in a game uh, world like we have never seen mm-hmm. previous to this this point in, in gaming. It, that um, connection, so that means, right? The, the connection. Yeah, and, you are that noble so, dwarf, you know? And I was so impressed that throughout the game... Uh, there's so many moments of interacting with other species and um, you know political systems where that background that you have is called into focus and it, it brings people's attitudes towards you um, uh, brings their attitudes toward, down on you in a, in a different way and that's really like that's such a, a genius idea because it and again like it conveys like a central you know human truth of being a sentient social life form is that um, the like sociocultural historical conditions of your upbringing are going to impact not just how you tackle problems and experiences in the world but how people um, uh, deal with you and it's it's such a it really lends power to like the you know the metaphors and themes around oppression yeah, because um, of like what you said we yeah. you interact with these problems on such a direct level and playing the game and going to Orzammar as a noble dwarf versus playing and going as like an elf it's an entirely different experience it's Who's your li- favorite uh, a noble origin? dwarf without question yeah that yeah, when too. you got to see the effects that you had on this family and you remember your second Gorum you remember him yeah, you yeah. find him in Denerim later, and he's like, "Dude, I'm like that was a uniquely powerful moment for me yeah. because this was a, a guy that uh, we were involved in the caste system that was very interesting in, in Orzammar and this this dwarf political system, and he was your second, and you were uh, essentially thrown to the wolves, and you were able to escape, and you didn't know what happened to this man that, based on your choices, normally would stand by your side and be with you to the end, and." 30 hours later, when you reach one of the final cities, you see that this character that meant so much to you in your the primacy of this game moved on too and kind of went on his yeah. own his own sort of journey. And you you That's, say to him, yeah. naturally, yeah. you say to Gorm, like, hey, come on in, join me. And he they, they actually made it. So this character says, like, no, man, like I'm I got my family now. Like I've I've moved on. Mm-hmm. That is such a brave and yeah unrelenting choice you know it's so true like that's the thing with these games they strike something so true in their storytelling because that they treat each of those characters even the ancillary ones um like fully realized beings and so that like they have to address the tragedy of just you know growing and changing within time right like you're like your relationships with people are going to change and fade away like almost necessarily and that kind of really brings that into focus here especially because you come from that background with the dwarf um, origin story you've come from a background of like privilege and power and so you can't just like call upon this guy's responsibility to you in the same way that you're used to being able to do and so it's kind of deconstructing that position as well like i think now i agree with you about the dwarf one that was my favorite to play but i think now with my current attitude i really like the elf storyline of like that, just being from nothing that and, also deals with rape too like very yeah, enslavement yeah. and rape i remember uh, if you do choose that storyline, uh, your cousin gets raped because the uh, elves are chattel in the system. And then you mm-hmm. meet literally the king of uh, this entire realm. And you say to him, like, yeah, I was in your, your host city. My cousin was raped by nobles. And you get this mm-hmm. shock in his face and these choices that were made. And that motivation stays with you and affects how you, you change the story later. Yeah, it's like instead of dealing with like privilege as kind of a something to deconstruct and use as a motivating factor, it's trauma. And the fact that you have those two, I guess those are really the two poles in that, in those origin stories, and you can have them exist so cohesively in the same game world and narrative is is just astonishing. Like that's an all-time accomplishment. 
And it, it, they're a little fortunate, too, because they didn't have exactly the same graphical um, requirements that Mass Effect did. And you could have a lot more uh, variables because it didn't have to look as unbelievably beautiful as Mass Effect, even though Mass Effect came out earlier. Uh, we talked about the origin here and, again, the, the different themes that were presented. What I think really blew me away as well was how this all finished up. After you complete the game, you make a very impactful choice that affects, again, the world and your emotion to these characters. You have a five to seven minute sequence, the prologue, where depending on the choices you made, you have dozens, if not hundreds of permutations of final choices to make these, this journey really special. And I think that's what Bioware understood maybe more than any other game development uh, company in the world is that it's not always about where you end up. It's about the journey. And when at the very end, you can make little choices that make things special to you. We talked about Gorum and that uh, relationship. If you beat the game and, and live as a dwarf noble, you have the opportunity to restore him of all of his rights. And you can see that character's kind of uh, turmoil in that sort of bit, whether he wants to go home. You can change the course of history. And as your own character, as uh, the Grey Warden, you have the option to just say, fuck all this. This is fun. I'm going to go mess around with the Canari instead and just have a good time with him. And you make it personal because it's based on the relationships you had. Like, that's the other thing. Go ahead. And I think, yeah, I think that's what makes these games feel um, like weighted in a sense is that it's not just that you solve the world problem. It's that you've you've kind of changed for better and worse. It's almost always a mix. You've changed the course of the history of the world that you're working in. And so like the epilogue and kind of the, the post um, uh, credits, you know, scene and, and choice making allows you to feel like this world is really continuing without you. I think that's so key in any piece of fiction of any medium to feel that like these, the, in terms of world building, which is one of our criteria, is that this world continues even if I'm not in it. And doing things like that, I think it's just, it's, it seems like pretty minor, but it really adds to that quality. And that's what I really loved about um, uh, Inquisition as well. Is yeah, because like, we got to see a completion yeah. of a lot of those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Like this is an this is an end maybe to your chapter, even a chapter even in your own life. Yeah, maybe an end to your actual life, depending on how you how you play it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the be all end all of of the story itself. Yeah, I think we'll go into that with Mass Effect momentarily. But I think Mass Effect might have a big edge when it comes to that connectivity of a world that continues without because of the centralized character. But you you talked about that a little bit there with Origins that the world keeps living and you know the choices were yours we forget that the influence system also affects those choices so if you really got along with these characters did all the right things gave them all the right gifts which admittedly is a little bit derivative you then have interactions that are even more special like the character shale you remember the uh it was the dwarven stone woman yeah, yeah, right. there we go. Yeah, yeah. Depending on your relationship, her entire goals and what she wants to do with her life is dramatically different and how you interact with these characters changes. And it's just it's another way that all of this stuff feels special. And it, like you have a responsibility to them, right? Because, yeah, you absolutely like, feel like you have a responsibility to them. Characters are, are vulnerable, uh, you know, both your companions and the minor ancillary characters. And you can choose how to handle that vulnerability. And I think, you know, like. Gaming is so much a synonym now for being crass and uh, having a lack of empathy because we're sitting behind a screen and we can shout, you know, slurs at people without having any consequence. But these kinds of RPGs really work against that and show the capacity of games to help you develop into a fully fulfilled, empathetic human being because it's showing you, you know, how you can actually impact uh, people around you in this tangible way. And I think it's so like that is, I think, a brilliant thing to have like children practice doing, for instance. Um, and it makes these stories feel like like I actually can have consequence, not just by killing the dragon, but by talking to the person that's, you know, having a bad time out mm-hmm. in the corner there. And yeah, I love that to kind figure of out, to detail. To figure out yeah. what's, what's hurting that person and, and to understand yeah. that, you know, you could make a difference and uh, the kind of the, the pros of consequence in a little bit. Like we get we get we get to feel that there there is a consequence to these this story and the story we built. And you don't get like we're, we're, we're I think surrounding a little bit, but let's let's hit around the head. You don't get that with anything else. 
that this is a story you built with your thoughts thanks to the geniuses that gave you the tools and it is special to you that that ending that you just got won't actually be the same as anyone else's because of what that experience was because it is it is a sum total of all the choices you made along the way and that's you're absolutely right that is directly connecting to how we live our lives and the choices that we live to other people so that i think is dragon age origins in essentially a nutshell a relatively short nutshell and basically how it was able to connect with the idea of player choice the emotional impact that you had about what's better for the world of uh yeah this this particular world should i get rid of logan you know what should i should i get rid of <laughs> myself yeah of course you <laughs> fucked your side but i just there's those little choices that that built all together to create something special and of course the world the introduction of the canari the the establishment uh and that's a little bit more in the other games where it really shines but still very strong like we talked about with magic and how that is reined in and mm-hmm. representative of of our uh, psychological pitfalls absolutely brilliant and an incredible start of giving us that that special experience. So we talked about all the great shit. Fanny, what's some bad shit about my beloved? I, I have yeah. it in a locket. I have a picture of Dragon Age Origins in a locket that I stare at before <laughs> I go to sleep. Now, now tell me you why have it's the, bullshit. Uh, lyrium earrings. I do. I got <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut, baby. That's a deep cut. <laughs> I know. You know. You know. Um, I mean, I yeah, I really do love this game too, but I think it's kind of the same problem that was exhibited in inquisition as well and i think it's a problem the franchise never really got over which is that the kind of moral and thematic complexity that really does justice to the cohesiveness and depth of the world that they present you isn't dealt with until the dlc so until we have the dlc the, the awakening dlc you don't like the um, um you know you give the orc the darkspawn are orcs right like they're just a ubiquitous totalizing evil that you have to fight against that darkness right and so when you have that as like the main narrative, just like with Lord of the Rings, right? You have that as the main narrative of like, yeah, we have to, you know, kill the darkness and this almost like Destiny-esque, you know, on the nose metaphor. Um, all the really interesting stuff is happening on the periphery, right? Where you have those like really tough, morally complex choices where there's no clear um, like benefit for doing good things sometimes. And you have to really decide how am I going to approach an ethical life? And I'm gonna, am I going to be a consequentialist where I'm just going to, in a utilitarian way, add up, you know, what is going to get me the greatest and, and best impact in the world? Or are you going to stick to principle even when it's going to cost you or the people around you something, including their lives? And so I think it, you know, by having this kind of really morally simplistic um, main narrative, it kind of sidelines the most compelling parts of the game, which they do develop in the DLC and later games as well. But I think that's kind of a problem with these early RPGs is that they could have taken the originality exhibited in how they dealt with magic um, and even with some of the political systems and applied it to the main story itself. Yeah, like to I the structure of this, narrative this, a little bit. Yeah. If there was no dark spot in this game, yeah, I thought, I think it would have been incredible uh, in terms of like just trying to navigate mm-hmm. this world where you have different species interacting with each other and, and trying to basically just like a French solve, revolution game or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And of. solve the problems by, you know, even though you yourself are subject to that same factionalism uh, by by the fact that you have this origin story, you belong to a species with a historical context. And so I think it's a bit oversimplistic in, a, in its main storyline. I think that's kind of, um, thematically speaking, the big real pitfall. Um, other than that, I mean, mechanically already mentioned that it's a little tough. It's kind of, that. <laughs> yeah, it's mixing the strategic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, approach with kind of the cinematic third like very close third and first person um, um, perspectives and that could be balanced uh, a bit better um, I think some of the characters aren't really fully fleshed out as they could be like mm-hmm. I'm always I think some of them like you mean Sten, the dog right yeah yeah the dog I want <laughs> what is the dog story what, what is, is it what's motivating dog? him let's, yeah let's figure that um, out can I fuck like Sten, the dog like, like it's, it's a <laughs> it's a touching moment um, when you get to like Sten's you know final moments mm. and kind of unpacking his philosophy and why he is the way he is. But I would rather have, you know, less with more, you know what I mean? Like fewer side characters um, that you can get involved with more deeply, um, which I think happens in the later games with all these franchises. So I think it's trying to take on too much 
as an origin story and so it kind of puts you at this center the center of this like world destroying crisis with you know the archdemon and in the dark spot and everything and i think it you know could have been really like brilliantly new and transcendent without all those kinds of tokenesque trappings to get us involved in the first place mm-hmm. yeah. well there we go and i i wouldn't disagree with that so let, let's put this this fantasy delicious cake on the shelf let's let it let's let it cool down because of course you're supposed to heat up cakes and let's grab <laughs> these this the tasty <laughs> prime rib no it's a cake i'm stay. it's a hot cake yeah, okay it's a hot, let's right. let's grab this cold prime rib these metaphors are delicious uh that is mass effect so drew carpition says you know what i'm gonna make something with aliens how many penises yeah. do they have would be my first question answer is none because the <laughs> The main species that dominates the universe is going to be all female. So we're definitely going to cater to those gamer desires. Yeah, no, having... yeah, there's definitely not. Yeah. They could have been, even though their heads kind of look like blue cocks. But that, I I think I'm th- <laughs> they're all, taking They're away. all attractive. They're all blue and they're all women. So, you know. So tell me, tell me about Mass Effect. Tell me about Mass Effect. Uh, so this is released before Origins, right? 2007. Yeah. We're just out of high school. Mm. Um, it, Casey Hudson's directing it. Uh, and he directs the you know the remainder uh, games in the series. Uh, we have Drew Carpishan emerge as kind of the head writer for the first two games before uh, Mac Walters um, comes in and kind of you know fucks up the third one a bit. And, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, and so it's kind of uh, again just like how Dragon Age Origins was traditionally token esque in its or in its um, origin uh, influences. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mass Effect it kind of fits the Dune um, uh, Star Wars narrative a bit too easily. Like you have the Force in terms of uh, having biotics and mm-hmm. biotic powers, which are basically Mass Effect fields that you can um, uh, control. The Asari, one of the races, can control them biologically, and then we can modify humans to control them as well. And so basically, people uh, as a as a species, humanity has just kind of emerged into the greater Milky Way galaxy and has found it populated by a lot of very anthropomorphic species. Um, and so we have kind of like a core group of species that are quote unquote advanced enough to dominate politically. You know, you have the Asari, the Salarians, the Turians, um, uh, and the Quarians. I think those are all those dominant races, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are the dominant yeah. ones. And then there's like, Oh, yeah. the Volus, the Krogan, the, yeah, the Krogan too, yeah. Um, uh, and so basically, uh, humanity has entered into this political minefield where they're trying to uh, assert their own power in the midst of a system that is much older um, uh, than they are. And you discover, obviously, that okay, there's some big again, like world-threatening evil in the forms of the Reapers. These, you know, basically sentient machine organisms that every 50,000 years come and destroy and harvest uh, civilizations when they get to a certain point of advancement. And so your goal, again, is to kind of choose your background, emerge as kind of the human uh, specter, which is like the Jedi warrior of the central political system of the universe, um, and figure out how to defeat the Reapers while everyone basically says, no, they don't exist. We're going to get bogged down in our factionalism and our conflicts uh, within the universe. And you have to kind of overcome both like in Origins, you have to overcome um, you know, like social and spatial stratification while solving the big evil that's coming to destroy and envelop everything. Um, that, so very similar in that that's way. That's hidden at the beginning, right? We don't really know what the Reapers are until that very impactful scene with Saren as the main guy. So that's it's a it's kind of a traditional story that opened up to an even more traditional story. <laughs> and so just like with I think with um, like I think we framed it well with Origins in that. Um, it takes that broad Star Wars Dune-esque um, space opera narrative and then really interrogates it and shows you um, the capacity for originality um, and impact on the periphery of that of that mm. central narrative. So, um, you know, I, what I always liked about sci-fi as a genre, I think why it's one of my favorites is that it replicates our own anxieties about um, living, how do we live constructively with each other, um, you know, in in the universe, right? And so you have all of the same problems that we have in the Mass Effect world, like you do in any good sci-fi. You have class um, conflict, right? There are people who are rich and people who are very poor and are exploited. Um, You have racism in the form of, you know, 
like the racism between humans has oddly disappeared of course but (laughs) symbolically yeah it's you know it's racism as a speciesism i guess basically as a stand-in for racism of you know and it's and it is really hate the humans everyone hates the krogans koreans or or, or dirt arabs they even sound like arabs that's how they're presented yeah yeah and it's and i really do think that's effective with science fiction because it it basically gives you a new uh, original arena to look at these problems that you become so um, acclimatized to in your own life that you forget they're there. Um, and so you have really touching moments where you see like Quarians that are basically like Tally when you first meet her, right? Mm-hmm. She's like severely under threat. You have uh, like the amazing uh, climactic moment with Rex, the, the Krogan who basically mm-hmm. wants to save his race um, from the genophage, the self-imposed genetic um, uh Neutering. genocide yeah yeah yeah, yeah. neutering and, and genocide right like those like those themes of of like genocide historical oppression settler colonialism are all things that we deal with now in the world and by having it replicated in a sci-fi universe you can really kind of take a step back and realize like the stark moral realities that are at the center of these problems which is what i really loved again the central conflict with the reapers and Saren. I wasn't really interested in uh, mm-hmm. the geth in the first one are presented as a kind of again like an ai they're pretty machine. limited yeah skynet yeah. skynet-esque uh, evil we got to fight and defeat the machines um and again it's not till the dlc and the second uh the sequel games where they really interrogate the idea of what constitutes ai and you know with legion is it uh, is ai its own type of life that we should respect Mm -hmm. so all that's kind of on the back burner in mass effect one but i think it does in a really effective way introduce you to the world and universe that you're in i think with Mm -hmm. origin origin does that origins focus a lot on your um back chosen backstory and i think with mass effect one you know it's not as varied your origin yeah your origin (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and mass effect's not as concerned with your situation um like you because there's already a character right that's the big difference yeah yeah your set character and you can choose your background that affects your your motivation for doing what you do and that does come up in in a few areas not as much as in origins it's a little Um, but it's yeah yeah, it's really dealing with you as um, a representative of humanity and humanity's obligations to a species to different species that they've alternatively allied with or oppressed or have fought against Um, and so i think what mass effect does better than origin is give you a context for exploring um, larger themes of like, how do we as Mm. people interact with uh, beings that are wholly different um, from us? And I think you said the B word there, Zach, I might have to spank you for that one. Beings? Better. Oh, better. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh Oh, no. (laughs) I will admit, Um, I remember when you first get on the, I don't know if you have the same experience, but when you first go on the Presidium and you're able to talk with, the it's not even the AI, but there's a, a woman working there that can just explain to you like who the Elcor are and who the the uh, Asari are, and kind of slowly easing you into that world when you finally do reach the Citadel. Uh, that I do remember as a stark contrast to everything that's going on, especially in the first game of Dragon Age Origin. I didn't nearly care as much about the interwoven details of the dwarves, which was interesting, but they're still dwarves. I've never seen a talking jellyfish that can like feel my emotions. I've never seen these uh, avian warlike Turians that represent different themes in cultures. I've never seen that before. And you became, and I think a little more obsessed. I feel like the fan fiction and the love for those characters is a lot stronger too. Yeah, and, and that yeah, that's exactly right. And that when you're not so tied to your influences, you can really kind of experiment. And when we get you know Thane and um, uh, the Drell in the um, the second game too, of like, what if you your memory was like absolute, right? Like it, it, each species can kind of be used to highlight um, the different strengths and problems of like confronting experience with like a different apparatus a different form of consciousness like i remember in the first game really like the hanar that you can talk to um uh, on on the citadel really i think was one of the most stark representations of that where they they talked about um kind of how they interact in a in a way almost without language and they have to adapt to language to interact with all these other species and in that way they're kind of more advanced like their really religion does... the enkindlers that we eventually yeah. found out meant the protheans and how that developed yeah, yeah, in the later right. games was very very well powerful. even that right like it's and that's what i really love especially you know from teaching history of 
when you have a, a kind of like a universal experience, like all these species have interacted with the Protheans, which are kind of like the race that preceded um, all the races in the galaxy. And they gave us these Mass Effect relays that we can use to travel the stars. There's actually, um, the Protheans did not create the relays. It was the Unari oh, that the was Reapers. before them. Yes. So, yeah, and there's a species be before them yeah. too that eventually became the workers on the Citadel. So, uh, yeah. pardon me. Actually, <laughs> who gives you're a right. Fuck? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> I'm getting, yeah, uh, I'm getting mixed up. But it's, it, but you're taking this universal experience that it's basically, you know, everyone is interacting with the same um, artifacts and background, but they're creating their own meaning with it. And I think that's like a really deeply human experience as well. Like in terms of you look at like the different polytheisms of our of our of our cultures and whatnot, they're all addressing the same questions. And so. The, just seeing that pop up in Mass Effect One, I, I really loved because it showed the value. It of showed trying you to as well. Of different it didn't always. Views. It didn't always yeah. force the narrative down your throat. It it right. very much showed you. And you yeah, you, you have yeah. to search this out. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to go and actually explore and talk. You can't. You don't just get kind of a breakdown in, in a simplistic mm-hmm. you know, ex, expository way. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the? Because we talked most about the narrative. What about how like the actual combat worked and your interaction with the combat yeah. at that point? I mean, this is older. Um, this yeah. is the first big years. Bioware game in the series. Yeah, 2007. So it's, it is clumsy in the sense of, um, like, it, there's no real auto-aim in terms of your powers. You have to, like, the biotics don't just magically hit your enemies like they did in the other games where you can kind of curve them around um, corners and whatnot. So mechanically, it's a bit kind of clunky. But what I, I really did appreciate and what I really didn't like that they got rid of in the later games was you could customize... Um, the power-ups to your all your weapons and use all the weapons no matter your class um, in almost a kind of almost obnoxious way where you don't really see the impact but it does give you an excuse to get into the world like I learned I forget the name um, but uh, like the, the each they, the, each company that had its own type of gun and you would you would interact with like um, some representatives of those companies and it would just be like oh I know that name. Oh yeah. Oh, so it's it, it's one of those little details that makes you feel like you're living in a really um, cohesive world. So I think in terms of the because you of the went world to building, like Novaria, those companies that you've been buying their guns for, you've been using their guns, their brands, like Cassius Interactive and things like that. Then you go to a planet, and all of a sudden, wait, no, these, you know, you're we're on like the corporate world. We know that these uh, these places have been fleshed out. You didn't get that in Origins. No, and, and and that's because you know f- with fantasy you can step even further from our own reality, you know, with magic and everything else, and uh, kind of like that feudal um, model for for fantasy. But here, what I like about sci-fi is that you can really interrogate like complex economic um, problems thematically, like you know, capitalism, the fact I'm using this company's weapon to kill things and mm-hmm. and powering it in some kind of you know, uh, tacit way. Like that's really like those problems are, are a lot more, uh, proximate to our own, I think, um, uh, than the ones in dragon age. You don't are, have dark spawn bit... trying you don't have dragon pro. <laughs> I, I closed the rift in my apartment years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy. You're, you're about two games ahead on that ship. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> getting ahead, when right. we're looking at the, uh, the original mass effect, I'm trying to th- mm-hmm. remember what that offered. I think what you're missing here that you haven't touched on enough was how important those characters were, how they represented the archetypes for almost all other uh, Bioware characters in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. We're talking about Mm -hmm. Garrus Vicarian. We're talking about Rex. We're talking about Talizora. Yeah. So I think those, those characterizations were better using the B word, look what I did. I can only say it once (laughs) than what we saw in Dragon Age. And I'm, I don't exactly know why. And I think because it's hard to put my finger on, but I'd love to know what you think about that. Because I think in Dragon Age, like with Sten and whatnot, like the Canari are kind of still very much on the periphery of the, of origins. And so, and like with Liliana, she comes in a bit later um, and whatnot. So you don't get a sense of the characters embodying and representing core world tensions in the same way. They're very much a bit more atomized in just like they have their own little minute concerns that you're kind of interacting with, which is intimate and, and lovely. But in Mass Effect, because we're dealing with like a, a, an interstellar travel and different species interacting in a very, very clear structured way like your quarian like tally has certain concerns because she's quarian and um uh, um uh, what's her name um the asari woman oh, 
Liara, like Liliana and Liara are messing me up. Um, <laughs> Liara, right, has very specific concerns because not only is her mother the uh, the matriarch um, uh, Benezia, yeah, matriarch Benezia, um, who's one of the villains, but like she has this sense of like, I have to represent my species and my species has basically defined what my role should be in the universe and how can I fulfill that and w- what aspects of that should I kind of move against? And you see every single character, like Rex in that climactic moment where he's like, has his gun on you and says, saying i'm taking this cure for the genetic genocide of my people even if it's arrived at through like this terrible experimentation right on vermeyer um and so there's a moment like that with each of those characters where you realize how macro problems of uh like macro political problems of of, like uh, uh, sectarian warfare and tribalism like community are communicated in like the lived realities of specific people and I think that's what you can do in this kind of like sci-fi space opera that you don't quite get. In they Dread try to Origins. do that with moments like Sten and uh, if you remember Wynn that represented the the Mage's Tower and the choices that were made there. So I I think there's some of that, but I, I would agree that because we, we know what dwarves are, so it's easier to perhaps understand their connection so it's not as uh, endearing. Whereas when I think of the connection, like you said, between Rex and the Krogan, it becomes something different and something that we haven't necessarily yeah. seen before. So, and like in in, in origins, um, all those species. I mean, I think it origins is more beholden to its influences because all those species are a bit separated, and your goal in origins is to unite them together. So you don't have like, and because you know it's the feudal structure, you don't have like a world political system as much. You're just going between different cultures, right? They're they're, they're pretty distinct. Yeah, and and what I really loved about Mass Effect One is that. It deals with our modern political problem and crisis, which is that we have just this huge intermixing of history, tradition, culture, and belonging um, that leads to oppression, that leads to obligation, uh, uh, and we're just trying to get a sense of how can we enact some kind of justice for people who have suffered as a result of these like big macro forces of, of history, and they really communicate that really well through their characters and Mass Effect and Mass Effect, right? Um, because these species are forced to interact in the universe together much more than the species in Origin um, are, and so you, that those political problems really, really do take the forefront and really are personalized through your um, through your companions more so than they are in Origin. And so I really like I found Mass Effect One a lot more like politically relevant and compelling than Dragon Age Origins, which was compelling on a more, more intimate It's also more level. cinematic. Like it is it is yeah. frankly a more cinematic game, so it's easier to connect. Like I, I remember the framing of that shot between uh Rex, Ashley and yourself on Vermeyer. You know, yeah. like I, yeah. I remember the mechanics yeah. of how that looked. Yeah. I remember what the shot looked like when uh the Reaper spoke to you. At three, yeah, with that deep yeah. voice. There's, I don't necessarily remember yeah. the moments of how they were framed. I remember the feelings. I even remember some things that were said. So I think there's a there's a hidden uh, sort of power in both of these techniques. Isn't it interesting, though, that both of them, these games, which are wildly different in so many ways, still do try to stick to those core principles of player choice, world-building yeah. consistency, and impact on player emotion. Like, let's just take a second to realize how astonishingly brilliant the people are yeah. that make these and sort of games. And I think it's it's so powerful because they haven't uh, done what we've done and separated them so much. It's part of a it's part of a total system, right? Like we need a consistent. Uh, world that's built so that we provide the framework in which the player is going to make certain choices or we're going to make the player feel the impact of those choices by having the player develop very clear relationships with different characters um, and so they take that that kind of approach and so that's why like every world building detail from any minor character that you just run into at a market and talk to um, to the big kind of narrative that's pushing uh, the the plot of the game forward, you know, has some kind of impact because it's you know tying back to um, a key theme or a key choice that you've made, uh, and it's just yeah, it is it is absolutely incredible. I think though these are some of the most cohesive games 
ever made in terms of uh, you know telling telling a story. And it's not because they're aping like an RPG structure like a lot of games do now. It's because they invented the RPG, RPG structure. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're and they're using that structure because it gives them the results that they are seeking for. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not just taking it as a given. They're starting with these values of we want players to connect with characters and have emotional experiences. How can we deliver that? And for them, you know, it's the the open RPG. Mm. So finally, we have these two games. They've been represented. I think we've advocated for them as best they could. Let's take a second now and try to think about which of these games, not necessarily comes out on top, but like I said, more (laughs) effectively uh, embodies those principles. So something like world building consistency. I am comfortable of giving that to Mass Effect. I think that that did it a little bit better for the reasons that you said. It was new, it was exciting, and you kind of covered it there. The reason that you said where Origins had a more traditional uh, Tolkien-esque representation. And also the the characters, like again, like you mentioned, uh, more represented these themes stronger in Mass Effect. Uh, Player choice, what do you think about that? I think Origins, because... Of the origin mechanic, really, like it's they're very similar, obviously, in terms of like you know dialogue wheels, uh, whoop, name of the show, <laughs> um, and uh, you know allowing you to affect um, the endpoint. But I I also like the epilogue of Dragon Age Origins better. Like I felt like more of my minor choices um, had impact, whereas in Mass Effect One, I couldn't really see the impact of some of those minor missions until the second game, and even then, it's just kind of like a callback. It's not exactly like a core part of it. Um, so I think with player choice, Dragon Age Origins did something in a game that has never been done before, which is give you a completely different version of a game. You know, hundreds of different versions. Yeah. Of the game. Well, and, and like just like it's the same. You're doing the same stuff, but you have a completely different perspective based on the choice you made in mm-hmm. your origin. And I think like I'm so surprised that that hasn't been used. It really hasn't. Again, it hasn't yeah, been developed it, since that time. Yeah, and it's incredible. And Mass Effect has the background, but really, you are just. Well, uh, a human being. I, I do want to in say, of Inquisition yeah. did kind of take that and added in the the races, but just didn't have the origin thing. Like we are, we you can't fuck that's with true. Yeah. I really love Inquisition. Yeah, I'm excited. No, that's for yeah. To, I hope we can get to that one because that's exciting. So we've given uh, one to world building consistency for Mass Effect. We've given one to uh, player choice for Dragon Age. Dragon Age. Yeah. Impact on player emotion. <laughs> the tiebreaker. Oh, weird baby. Thing we just made up. <laughs> yeah, of the thing we just made up. Um, this is a tough one for me. I was able to advocate for Origin, so I, I think it's a, it's a personal experience. But in terms of being able to make the player feel special and and, and affected, and like they said, they they're. It gives them something to dream about. The thrills, the victories, the hate. I think there's more new yeah. emotional nuances in Origins because of its messy complexity. Whereas Mass Effect, it, it didn't that the first one yeah. was kind of setting the bill that will then pay off subsequently. And paid off. I think, big I, think I can agree that because yeah, uh, with with the Mass Effect series, I think it's stronger because you're staying with the same characters with each game. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, really by two and three, when you're, like, talking to Garrus, at, like, at the end of the third one, when you're talking to all the, the characters oh, that you've been emotional. on this ride with, like, that is incredible. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of unfair. Yeah, if we're, if we're talking about in terms of the first game, I think, yeah, I, th- I think I'd agree with you because Mass it's Effect close, is though. really... It's close yeah, for me on that last yeah. one. It's very, very close. I do really like that moment with Rex and even the guy. Um, remember this uh, Salarian commander on Vermeer? Of course, who hold like, the line, baby. Die? Hold the line. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe I'm convincing myself now that it's Mass Effect. Like, <laughs> well, hey, I think this is a good place to to leave it off of. Uh, <laughs> I I think that. It gives it to Origins. Uh, I really want to know what everyone else thinks. Please uh, tell us your your thoughts, feelings, and uh, yeah, if there's if there's enough love for this or hate, we will continue on this. Uh, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're running out of time here, but again, um, I'm Andy Burkowski. Oh, uh, I'm Zach Fanny. <laughs> Just excellent. <laughs> And this, I, you, friend, you've introduced me, uh, outro me every episode, and then you leave me. I well, here. listen, I, I, you know what this I did? This is my Rex moment, and I choose to kill you. <laughs> uh, hashtag renegade. Pfft.
Yeah, yeah. Actually, the the button came up. This that's the it. Renegade button. And I that's didn't listen. That's it. not in Mass Effect One. So fuck you. Origins wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back. That was real.